0: I had a marvelous experience of the grace of God this week. Actually, this weekend. I went to CVS with my five-year-old grandson, Brady, who was wailing because I would not buy him gum. He had three different kinds in the car. None of them were satisfactory. He said, nobody ever gives me what I want. Nobody ever gives me what I want. I was a little bit frustrated with the boy, so I said, Brady, do you want your next breath? I said, look, it's free. Go ahead, suck it in. And I took a great big breath like this. And even in CVS, breath feels great. And he took a great big breath, and he started to smile. And I said, Brady, you want uh, some sunshine? He said, okay. So we walked out in the sunshine. Stretched my I said, feel that sunshine. He felt it. He said, yes, feels good. I said, it's free. It's free. The best things in life are free. Saturday morning, I got up before the sun came up. I grabbed my fishing rod, and I headed for the Suburban Canal at the mouth where it goes into Lake Pontchartrain. Saturday morning was gorgeous. Did any of you recognize Saturday morning as gorgeous? It's a okay. It's good. This is good. You didn't miss that morning. I got to Suburban Canal. I threw my bait into the water, and the chum by the tens of thousands, were leaping into the air. They came like a wave, like a roar, all the way across the mouth of the suburban canal, and a bicyclist stopped on the path, and a walker stopped on the path and said, What is that? Well, it's all creatures of our God and King. And the seagulls were diving right in front of me and picking up the chum. And a blue heron was over here standing in slow motion doing its hunt. And a white egret was over here doing the same. And the big fish were going under the little fish. And everything was in amazing, glittering motion. And I looked over at the sandbar, and I could see the eyes and the tail of an alligator about six feet long. And he's cruising along. And every once in a while as I threw my bait, i hear this great big churning splash because the alligator was getting him some chum too. We were all predators that morning looking for chum. But I stopped in the middle of this beautiful morning and I said, Lord, there's nobody anywhere on planet Earth in this moment who is more blessed with your grace than me. And I am determined nobody on planet Earth is going to enjoy it more than me because it's all free. It's grace. Jesus said the sun shines on the just and the unjust. That's what God does. He said the rain falls on the righteous and the wicked. God gives his free gifts every day. We live, we move, and we have our being in the grace of God. But somehow we resist it in our own personal journey. We resist the grace of God. His His love and kindness freely given. His salvation freely given. You can read about it In Galatians chapter 2, beginning with verse 1, where Paul is describing his own personal journey, how he himself became an apostle, and the gospel which he preached, his interaction with the pillars of the church. Listen up to this. Galatians chapter 2, verse 1. Then after 14 years, Paul writes, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along also. I went in response to a revelation, and meeting privately with those esteemed as leaders, I presented to them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. I wanted to be sure I was not running and had not been running my race in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. As for those who were held in high esteem, whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not show favoritism. They added nothing to my message. On the contrary, they recognized that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised. For God, who was at work in Peter as an apostle to the circumcised, was also at work in me as an apostle to the Gentiles. James, Cephas, and John, those esteemed as pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship, when they recognized the grace given to me, they agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor. The very thing I had been eager to do all along. Grace is always under assault, that we would be saved by the free gift of God is just too much good news for some people. It's too much freedom. They just can't buy it. The Lordship of Christ is not enough for some. They want the lordship of law, too. And so grace is always under assault. Sometimes it's under assault in us, in us personally. And we feel the conflict within. God can't forgive you. You've done this again. What makes you think God will forgive you? And grace is under assault in you. This feeling that you've got to make a good impression, that you've got to measure up. That there are standards to which you must rise. And if you don't rise to those standards, somebody's not going to love you. God's not going to love you unless you behave in certain ways. Grace is always under assault. It's always under attack. It was in the time of Paul. And it is in our time too. Still to this day, I have people who come with new information for me as the preacher. And they want to let me know that they have had a revelation and that we're to only worship on a certain day. And if we worship on another day, that doesn't please God and that's not Christian. Or we should only be eating certain foods. And if we're eating these other foods, then that's not Christian. Or we need to behave in certain ways. And if we don't behave in these certain ways, if we don't keep these certain rules... That's not Christian, and you're not a Christian if you if you don't do these other things. And I just want to wrap them on the head. (laughs) Say, is anybody in there? Have you lost your mind? Now, having been saved by grace, are you going to be perfected some other way? Do you really want to discard? The cross of Jesus Christ and all that God did in purchasing your salvation at Calvary in order that you can bring your $3 worth of righteousness to God? Do you really want to do this? Hello? Is anybody home? Grace is always under assault. We have our man-made regulations. And that's really what they're talking about. They want the ethnics, the Jews who have said they're following Jesus, have decided that the ethnics, everybody who's not a Jew, the ethnos, the nations, they all need to become Jewish in order to really be Christian. They need to get baptized, they need to follow these dietary laws. They need to make sure they keep the holy days and the feast days. They need to become Jewish so they can be Christian. It's the first heresy in the early church. Paul, who was sent to minister to the Gentiles, challenges this. And he says, no, we are not putting grace under attack In the church of Jesus Christ grace is the way by which we are saved and your effort to make sure that the others are circumcised and obey the dietary laws those are just efforts to make them more like you not make them more like Jesus and that's what legalism is got you a new definition of legalism legalism is me trying to make you more like me not more like Jesus something about you being different is uncomfortable to me you dress differently can you really be a Christian you have a strange way of behaving you have strange a strange diet I'm not sure I want to sit down at your table. You've got a strange language. I can't understand you when you speak. You're not enough like me. I'll be more comfortable to call you a brother and a sister if you'll just be more like me. And being more like me doesn't necessarily make you more like Jesus. In fact, these man-made rules, if I give them to you, they can become a barrier between you And Jesus, that's what Jesus was talking about when he said, you teachers of the law and you Pharisees, you'll go through sea and land to find one proselyte. And after you've converted him, you've made him twice the child of hell that you are. I've been thinking about that. Here's a convert that the the Pharisees make, and he's twice a child of hell than they are. Jesus would say they're children of hell because they've got this legalism and they think that's how they're going to be righteous with God. But that person they've converted way over there, he was already outside of the covenant. He wasn't part of the children of Abraham. And now they've given him not the righteousness which is in Christ, but a new legalism, new rules to keep. And there's nothing more deadly to your relationship with God, then the system of religion you think will save you. There's nothing harder to penetrate than that set of rules and regulations you think makes you right with God. It is the deadliest form of ungodliness on the planet because it's built right out of your heart of pride, wanting to be first, wanting to do it yourself, not submitting to what God has done in Christ, but instead making your own way. And so rejecting, in fact, the sacrifice of Christ upon the cross to dress yourself with your own righteousness. Every generation, every family, every ethnicity must be careful that we do not seek to make people more like us instead of more like Jesus. Every time we build these barriers to you can't be a Christian until you're more like me, we prevent somebody from coming to the good news of Jesus Christ, which is God saves by his grace through faith. And these artificial barriers we erect, they don't come from God they're not part of the gospel they're part of the rules and regulations that we develop and so Paul says do not give in for a minute do not give in for a minute we didn't for a moment tolerate this attack upon the grace Of the Lord Jesus. Grace is the only way to come into fellowship with God. Grace emphasizes the sanctity of every human life. There is no hierarchy of value among humans. In the grace of God. All are of infinite worth in God's sight. This is the message of grace. That's why Paul, even in the presence of Peter and James and John, gives us the truth. God is not a respecter of persons. God does not show favoritism. God doesn't like some people more because of their economic standing or their language or their place geographically on the planet. We celebrate Jesus because Jesus was no respecter of persons. And because he did not show favoritism, even his enemies came to him with this and said, Jesus, we know you don't show favoritism. It's amazing to us, you know. But let me ask you a question based on that, just to see if you'll stick to it. The church of Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Not even for a moment do we step away from the free grace that God gives through his son, Jesus Christ. We need conviction here, young people, men and women. We need to be convicted that we are saved by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus plus nothing. It needs to be firm in our heart. We need a determination here, a resolve that we are not going to back away from the gospel of grace, that this is how people are saved, a rock-solid determination. We will never give in anything that adds other requirements to salvation, but the, uh, but the gift of God through Christ. We need to go with God, not with people, no matter what credentials they may have. It doesn't matter their credentials. That's part of the reason James and Peter and John are mentioned here. They are leaders. They are pillars. And Paul is saying, I don't care what their credentials are. If they say to you that it's Jesus plus these rules and regulations, this certain behavior, you say, no, Jesus alone, my grace is sufficient for you. I am saved by his grace plus nothing. Give the right hand of fellowship to the one who comes in grace. This is the only time in the Bible that the right hand of fellowship is mentioned. Right here, in this text, and it is the right hand of koinonia, which is the famous word for fellowship in the New Testament. Say, how much did you pay for your last friendship? Did you buy you a friend lately? How long would a friendship last if you paid a hundred dollars? said, hey, I'd like to buy your friendship. Here's $100. You're thinking to yourself, you can't buy friendship. Why? Because it's a covenant of grace between two people. It's a gift that we give one another. And it's free. It's a free gift that we give each other. And the word koinonia, the fellowship that is mentioned here, is the free gift of God enjoyed by people, who are in the body of Christ, who have received the grace of God in salvation. When they realized that Paul had received the grace of God, they extended to him the right hand of fellowship. They received him freely into their fellowship. And this is what the church of Jesus Christ must do. God is no respecter of persons. Jesus does not show favoritism. And therefore, the church of Jesus Christ, you and me, We must not show favoritism either. And all your life you'll be tempted to do so based on economy and social status and other criteria by which the world judges people and ranks them. But according to the Savior, the church of Jesus Christ is not allowed to do this. We cannot do this. We must extend our hand of fellowship to those who are in grace in Christ Jesus. And it is a free gift. It is a fellowship of grace. And the church of Jesus Christ, to be authentic in its following of Jesus, must not show favoritism in this regard. When we stretch out our hand to a brother or sister who has trusted in Jesus as Savior, we receive them and give them that hand of fellowship based on no other criteria than the grace of God extended to them and to us. If there are other criteria in our mind, and we will not take the hand of fellowship because the person is too different from me in all these external ways, then I am betraying and denying the Lord who bought me with his blood, who does not show favoritism and saves people and regenerates them from every tribe and nation and people and tongue. Here we have the hand of fellowship extended to Titus, who is a Greek. From Peter, who is a Jew, no greater chasm in the ancient world than the chasm between Jew and Greek, Jew and Gentile. And yet Jesus, in his body, united them. He himself is our peace. This is why we are Jesus people, centered in Jesus himself, seeking to live the life of Christ in the here and now, because Jesus himself is our peace. He's torn down the dividing wall between human beings. In his grace, he has brought us into covenant with himself, and we are in covenant with one another simply through his grace. I am startled by verse 10. I'm coming along fine. I understand what Paul is doing. He's defending his apostleship. He's telling them he received the gospel from Jesus Christ himself. He had his encounter with the living Christ on the Damascus Road and afterward, instructed by the Lord. I understand what he's doing. He's saying that we must defend the gospel of grace, the free gift of salvation. But I get to verse 10, and it throws me just a little. They only had this one thing. They wanted us to remember the poor. Doesn't it throw you a little? Just a little maybe? Anybody reading along and you get to verse 10, you think, hmm, well, that's interesting. He wants us to remember the poor. And Paul says, I was ready to do that. I was eager to do that. We'd already determined we were going to do that, remembering the poor. That sounds just like Jesus to Paul and to Peter and to James and to John. All of them. Sounds like Jesus to them. Let's remember the poor. It's not really a law. It's not really a rule. It's a remembrance. Remember the poor. Do you remember the poor? You say, well, who are the poor? I would say they are the economically disadvantaged, but more than that. Jesus sort of enumerated them when he talked about the hungry, the thirsty, the stranger, the prisoner, the sick. I was sick and you came to me. I was a prisoner and you visited me. I was a stranger and you took me in. Those are the poor. The poor are the people with needs, the people who need help. Now, why would we forget them? Surely nobody in here would forget the poor, the people with needs. As a matter of fact, sometimes we do and we know it. I think we forget the poor for one main reason. We forget the grace. Amen. See, if, if we remember where we came from, Where Jesus found us in our sin, helpless and unable to save ourselves, burdened with a weight we could not lift. If we remember where Jesus found us, if we remember his grace, we will remember the poor. We will identify with the poor. We will know what it is to have a need that you cannot yourself fill. remember the poor I want to thank you brothers and sisters in the family of faith called First Baptist New Orleans right now because there are dozens of you in the pews right here who have built a path to the poor and the needy in your life and on a regular basis you are helping them you remember them consistently persistently with dedication and with passion. You care for them. You visit the prison. You go to Rivard. You go to the nursing homes. You go to the schools with heavy loads of food for the kids who come hungry on Mondays. You take the food down to the homeless and to the recent immigrant to our town. You are remembering the poor. And I want to say thank you for remembering the poor. You are following this instruction of James and John and Peter and Paul, eager to do so. You have with passion, on your own, and self-motivated, set up the teams and, and picked out leaders, and you take care of these aspects of the ministry with such wonderful care and faithfulness. And I want to say, after six years of so much with Care Effect, thank you. Or remembering the poor some of us needed to change our ordinary path so it would take us by the poor and the needy you can forget them it is possible and sometimes we do and if we have we should receive the grace of the Lord Jesus and recognize Lord I haven't been faithful in this matter of remembering the poor. They haven't been on my mind and on my heart, and I need your forgiveness. I don't want to send you away with a guilt trip. Well, that would be the opposite of grace, wouldn't it? (laughs) I mean, we can't do that. So what do you do? You recognize if you have forgot them. You ask God to forgive you. You enjoy the cleansing that he brings, and you determine in your heart that you won't commit that sin again, that you're going to remember to care for those in need, I assure you, if you'll remember where Jesus brought you from, you will identify with those who have needs. And if you'll remember where the journey of life is bound to take you one day, you will remember their needs as well. When you're locked up in that prison someday, if it ever happens, you're going to be so glad when somebody calls and says, you've got a visitor. When they've put you in the nursing home and you can't go anywhere on your own, you're going to be glad there's some person younger and healthier than you who didn't forget you in that convalescent center. They remembered you. They came by to see you. They hugged you. They read the scripture and sang and prayed with you and you will be glad, and it may be the delight of your life one day. You'll be looking forward to the day that the team comes to lead in worship because it's your favorite day of the week. Remember the poor. Blessed are the poor. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Let the grace of God pour all over you. Forget the stuff of what you deserve and all the bitterness and resentment that says, I never got what was coming to me and I should have had better and I should have had more and other people got promoted past me and look, I had more talent. Forget all that stuff. Forget it. Put it aside. Let the grace of God just pour all over your life. Let the grace of God liberate you from the resentments and bitterness that you carry. Let it go. Let it go. Forgive the folks who have wounded you, who have abandoned you and betrayed you. I'm not talking about the little things. I'm talking about the deepest things that have struck you at the very core of your being. It's time to let it go, to forgive, to let the grace of God wash over you in such a powerful way that it truly cleanses you, makes you new on the inside. And helps you get your chin up, your shoulders up, straighten your back for a new day in the world God has placed you in. God needs you, liberated from the guilt and shame, bitterness and resentment, and ready to be his ambassador of grace in a world full of need. Bow with me, please. And as we bow our heads, would you just picture the grace of God pouring down like a flood in this room, filling up, covering these pews and covering everybody here, just immersed in God's grace? Would you thank God for His grace that is greater than all our sin? Would you allow the grace of God not only to be over you, but to pour through you, to penetrate the dark, deepest and darkest places in your life? Let the grace flow. Recognize that God's forgiveness is real. And as we confess our sin, it is total. He cleanses us inside now. Lord Jesus, what a wonderful thing you did. When as the Lamb of God, you laid down your life on our behalf. You purchased for us a wonderful liberation from the guilt of sin. And Lord, we pray that you will help us as your children enjoy that freedom this very day. Lord, help us to live as forgiven people. Reminded of the grace that saved us and rescued us. Remembering those in need about us, spiritually, physically, emotionally. God, send us into our world, armed with your grace, able to share it, able to speak it, able to show it. In Jesus' name, we pray in grace. Amen.